Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to On the Table Gaming. It's episode 42. We're going to be talking with Josh at Gen Con. Uh, he's a regular player at Sarge's Comics in New London. And before we jump into that, we will be talking about Gen Con in future episodes. Before we get into any of that, uh, I just want to mention that we have on Song of Ice and Fire CC.com now an event finder. Uh, tournament organizers you can go to tournaments tournament organizers and submit event and for everyone else if you're looking for events go to the event finder and you can submit and find uh, local tournaments around the world and so what we're hoping to do is to use this platform as a place to help people pull together and then also be able to find events in one place you can submit them as a community member make sure you put the time location where it's going to be at for example and an image and we've got some upcoming events now there's a lot on here already i'm just going to give some shout outs to a few coming up so on august 10th we've got mythicos a song of ice and fire blood under the sun team tournament so that's august 10th mythicos studios in new jersey you might recognize that name they stream every thursday on twitch so uh, make sure you check out Mythico Studios and their team tournament. That's going to be a really cool format. And then on August 11th, we're going to have it at Court of Gamers, which is Rebel Lightworks' home base in San Antonio, Texas. There's a, a Song of Ice and Fire tournament with some amazing prize support. So you're definitely going to make sure you check it out. There's an online registration for you for that. So check that one out and make sure you register in advance. And then finally, Alpha Omega Hobbies. Now, if you are in the New England area, Massachusetts have been killing it. If you may have heard of a off the wall games, we've mentioned also alpha Omega hobby, uh, alpha and Omega hobbies, just to throw it out there on September 7th, they're gonna be having a 40 point list tournament. And the grand prize is a house Baratheon starter set. So if you were not able to get a house Baratheon starter set at Gen Con and you're in the Massachusetts or new England area, make sure you get yourself over to alpha and Omega hobby and you get in the running for that. So you can, you can win your, your Baratheon starter set by paying the iron price. So there's a lot more events on, on, the, on the event tracker as well. I will just give you a few samples there. So please make sure you're checking that out, making use of it. And if you have any tips or suggestions for how we can improve that, it'd be greatly appreciated. And without further ado, uh, we're going to welcome you know another Josh, not, not our typical Josh from the table gaming, but another Josh who made the trip out to Gen Con from Connecticut. Uh, Josh, you know, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so now just a little bit of your gaming background before we jump in and talk about what the Gen Con experience has been like. You're someone that I, I know pretty well from the uh, Star Wars Legion community, and you kind of made the jump into A Song of Ice and Fire. What kind of experience are you bringing to A Song of Ice and Fire? Oh, man, I think I started with Warhammer, which I think a lot of people do, <laughs> and then got into yeah. Fantasy Flight games, X-Wing, Armada, Legion... Played a lot of tournament armada, and then got into Song of Ice and Fire because another local player, you, <laughs> got me uh, pretty pretty into yeah. it. Yeah, and so you played, you know, competitively a lot of armada, I think, right? Yeah. So kind of getting out into these cons, you're maybe not sort of new to that idea. So you know, maybe we'll just jump right in. So you know, how was how was Gen Con? It is different. Uh, I've been to some big tournaments before for. Other games, I've been to Crucible in Orlando, which is a big Florida event. Uh, I've been to Nova a couple years in Northern Virginia, uh, which is a big event. But Gen Con, you know, 60, 70,000 people, very crowded all the time, pretty different. Yeah, that's like, that's the big league. <laughs> it is. Oh my gosh. And it's so funny because I've been checking Facebook and there's been all this Baratheon news and we'll, we'll definitely go into all mm -hmm. of that in a future episode. But uh, I keep seeing a lot of the kind of the big names that pop up over and over again on the Song of Ice and Fire tournament scene. And so it sounds like there was a lot of great players there. 
So you played uh, yes. the first and second days of tournaments. What was that like? And I guess also, what, what faction were you running? Well, I ran my Starks. They're the only ones that play. And I brought a Howland Reed list and a Rob Stark list. And the structure of the tournament has four qualifying rounds of 16 players each. And uh, I signed up for all four of them. Hedge my <laughs> bets. I only ended up playing in three of them. Um, so I played two of them yesterday. So when it came down to uh, stand in line for Baratheons or, or go play, you were like, I'm going to play. That's exactly right. And I missed out on the Baratheons. I was pretty bitter about it all day. But then, then it turns out they decided that the whoever wins each qualifying match wins a Baratheon starter set. Then, so then the pressure was on. A lot of guys did what I did, and they signed up for all of them, but they were intending to drop out as soon as they qualified for the finals. They qualified mm-hmm. for the finals for getting into the top four, but when they found out the prize was the Baratheon kit, that just meant they were going to stay in. Yeah. Yeah. So the competition was was pretty pretty tough for people who already had kind of won by all the other standards. And so, yeah, so what was it like playing in the tournaments? And what was your kind of overall experience? Uh, well, the first day, I did extremely poorly. I ran up against two almost identical uh, Joffrey lists. Oh, I didn't know okay. just how potent they were. I got a real lesson on Lannisters. Oh, were, they, were they running with Kingsguard, I'm assuming? And uh... Oh, yeah. And uh, were you finding the tactics cards? Okay, and the warrior sons, yeah. You know, I think it was just the resilience of the Kingsguard with their with their banners too, and then the the warrior sons with generating those faith tokens reliably. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't make anything stick to them. Usually, you can put a little damage on them, and then maybe put a little more on panic tests. But right, but they're. They're gonna hold fast. I wish uh, my uh, my regular co-host here, Josh, was here so we could talk about the Warriors' sons. But yeah, so that's a sounds like a very resilient army. Now, was it uh, incredibly? What were the scenarios that you guys were playing on? They were. I I don't know if they were picked ahead of time or they were random. They didn't tell us what they were Mm -hmm. until the beginning of the match, and it was really. I I think they were all allowed except for the the castle assault mission. Yep. Um, and they only were gave you, us a couple of minutes notice. Were you finding on some of the uh, more resilient armies that it was hard just to dislodge them off of objectives? Like, were they able to get there first? Or was it more just just in general, kind of in the strengths of arms, they just were able to grind you down a little bit? You know, that's something that people talked about a lot at the tournament, was getting onto the objective first and holding it. Yeah. But my first day, I was getting onto the objective first every time. Oh wow! That okay. didn't that didn't seem to help me. Interesting. All. all right. Well, speaking of you, you talked about high level players that are getting a lot of press, and one of the guys that people were talking about a lot at the tournament was a guy by the name of Colin with a K. Yes. And he actually <laughs> was my very first opponent, so it was sort of a welcome to the tournament scene while he just kicked my teeth in pretty thoroughly. Now, I think I actually played against Colin back at PAX Unplugged. Uh, mm-hmm. And so he's been doing tournaments for quite some time. Yeah, he's part of a small little Song of Ice and Fire mafia that travels travels the country and terrorizes people at tournaments. <laughs> they're, they're extremely nice guys. I got along with all of them. Oh, he's a gentleman, but yeah. Man, they, they really operate on us. 
a different level than other people, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, a, you know, there's a lot of experience in there too. So that was one of your first games in the tournament. So, I mean, at least, mm-hmm. you know, that's actually setting a good bar though. Then you can be like, okay, so everything I'm going to experience from now on will be maybe some level lower than this. You know, somehow that was still kind of a high point for my first day. Oh. I actually, I think I came dead last in both qualifiers for the first day. Oh my goodness. Okay. It was so bad that at the end of the second round, the judge announced that I came last and told me that my name is Reek. And then to give me my to give me my um, attendance prize, he he tried to get me to say my own name. Wow, well, that sounds a little a little awkward slash discouraging. I don't know how I how I well, feel about that. In fairness to him, I was doing really badly. Mm-hmm. The first qualifier, I came uh, one win and two losses. Okay. And then the second one, I came zero wins and three losses. And, uh, you know, what? so I know a few things. I know just from your being sort of new to the game-ish, uh, but I know that I've never, we've never played out some factions. Were there any factions that were particularly hard for you? You mentioned the Lannisters. How about oh, yeah. a Night's Watch or any mirror matches? Yeah. Or I had my first experience with a Jon Snow yes. Night's Watch list, and, and that was pretty unbelievable. I had that unit triple charged at one point, and I still it just slowly ground me down. Yeah, that's a pretty brutal one. Um, and then okay, but so then the second day, so first day was a little rough, right? Yeah, back to the fire. Second day, though, I you learned- come back in. I learned the lessons though, and I I retooled my list. I couldn't swap in new minis because I'm traveling with my army. I didn't bring extras. Mm -hmm. I reconfigured my list pretty substantially after the first day. Uh, I couldn't swap any new models in because I didn't bring any, but I did change up what I realized. And on the second day, I actually managed to come three wins and zero losses. Wow. Holy crap. Nice job. And so what was going different for you on that second day? I think I needed to adjust to thinking about the game the way that the tournament players... Objective-based? You know, it's not even objective-based. There's just uh, playing casually is a style of play than the people who play competitively. Mm -hmm. They're in just a different mindset. And so what sort of tips would you give maybe people coming out to the, for their first tournaments or something? Yeah. I, and to clarify, I'm not expecting to do well tomorrow in the final, which is okay with me. But I do feel qualified to talk about going from casual to competitive now. Yeah. After, after three qualifiers and learning <laughs> from it. I think, that, I think that the biggest thing is to think about um, planning your turns and in terms of what tactics cards you have. Because playing casually, I would just do what I wanted to do and what I thought was best. And if I had a tactics card that would help me, I would use it. Mm -hmm. But the higher level players plan out their turn based on what tactics cards they have. And I realized that because A, they will start with grabbing the envelope on the tactics board as often as they can. And B, when they play a tactics card, it usually is followed by two or three more. <laughs> so getting those chains in. Yeah, they think about chains and combos and stuff that I really never thought about before. And so thinking about turn planning in that way 
And that really, then you get to do your deep dive on your faction. I think that's what's going to be so cool about the Baratheons is some of their tactics cards actually have the same trigger, which is not uncommon, but like, it seems like some of their good tactics cards actually have the same trigger. And it may be that this faction, you know, you're going to have to like learn those sort of like road bumps to be able to make sure that you can maximize that particular style of play. Yeah, I haven't really looked at them too much. I've been a little little busy. I haven't really looked at tactics cards. You've been too busy uh, crushing guy, people. One guy got a buy round in the first round of the first qualifier and ran out and bought a Baratheon set and brought it back and showed it. <laughs> yeah, his name <laughs> was Christopher. Awesome. He, he showed everybody the cards. We really appreciated it. Thank you for sending me some of those images as well. What sort of lists did you face on the second day? Uh, on the second day, I played only against Starks. The, half the people on the second day were running Starks, which was really strange because on the first day, I think I was one of, if not the only person running them at all. Interesting. Mostly the lists were Lannisters and Night's Watch. And there were only a few Free Folk. Although Free Folk won today. They beat me on the tiebreaker. Uh, there oh, were, okay. I think, only one of three qualifiers I went to, I think there was only one mercenary uh, fact. Uh, I think out after the second match of one of the qualifiers. And did you did you get to face the mercenaries? Uh, no, I didn't get to play against the mercenaries. I did see them a lot in Starkless, though. I didn't yeah. realize how well synergized with Stark Tactics cards. So that's another thing that's got me kind of yeah, thinking about. Maybe start picking like some of those up, huh? <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think. I was fascinated to hear what you were saying was the breakdown because we just put out today a like another state of the game poll. We hadn't done one since mm -hmm. April. And at that time, people saw Lannister as being the most powerful, then Night's Watch, and then kind of Starks, and then like Free Folk and Boltons down at the very bottom. Yeah. It's interesting to see. I'm excited to see if that perception has changed. Uh, but it sounds like it was kind of a, a hodgepodge of, you know, all sorts of factions represented. Uh, except for maybe the second day where you said it was more Starks heavily. Yeah, overall, though, it was, I think, pretty heavily Night's Watch and Lannisters. Okay. Um, I will say, though, something I've noticed compared to other games that I've played at tournaments, these guys love to talk about the game and they talk about everything about the game, but not once do they ever talk about things being good or bad. They talk about combinations being really good, but not once was anyone ever like, oh, I would never use Rickon, or this character is really overpowered. They never, ever talk like that. I think that those kind of higher level players all just sort of treat everything as an extension of a combo. I guess there are sometimes suboptimal things, but also there are some, sometimes there's weird combos that people don't expect. And you come in and you're like, yeah, I've got this thing that actually really, really works well. Mm-hmm. Well, so what, so what were you running? What were some of the lists you had? And, you know, were there any combos that you were starting to find and be able to field? Well, I started with a uh, Rob Stark and Holland Reed list, and they were both mm -hmm. pretty heavy on uh, unit attachments. Uh, I had Brandon Hodor, and um, I had Jojen and Mira in the mm -hmm. Howland list to get Kranigman out, and I had Rickon in the rob stark lifts so i could get three dogs going and man those lists just did really terribly and i realized that the the better players will use a weak combat unit to sort of leapfrog really great combo potential so they'll put sort of a sacrificial unit up and entice you to go for it and then they'll hit you from you know a charge distance you didn't do or they do twice as much damage as you would have thought they could have done on the counterattack. 
So I realized that I needed to do something like that. So between day one and two, I got rid of all those unit attachments except for uh, Bran and Hodor and just add was an extra Bowman unit in one and an extra Sworn Sword in the other. Right. And that's something that's been talked about. Actually, Michael Chanel recently talked about is, you know, some taking a look at attachments like that and uh, finding different ways to get value out of them. Because sometimes the, I think maybe it's more of just the hmm, burden of execution if you've got a more expensive unit with a more expensive attachment, it may do great things, but you may be able to get better value out of smaller attachments with you know or lower price attachments. Mm -hmm. I think I had to get out of the, the casual mentality of every unit needed an attachment because I right. think the higher level players really do think about, you know, units only need an attachment if they need the attachment to function in whatever right, for that specific the purpose they're building right and maybe if you up to it we could take a copy of your original list and then what you ended up with and kind of do a comparison of uh, how that changed that might be a great article for a song of ice and fire cc oh that would be cool but again there are way better people that uh, are going to do a lot better in the final i'm sure of it um well i'm, I'm sure we'll see some definitely was self-improvement <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's the name sure. of the game, though, right? And I think what's cool is, you know, you've got some tournament experience, but now you're jumping into a new game system. And I think that's one thing I see even just when I was playing with you when you're starting out, right? Just kind of practicing, going through what are some of the game modes, how do the units move, et cetera, is that you're already bringing certain positioning uh, and, like, other game knowledges to this game. And it's really fun to see the way different people approach um, games based on their their background experience. And so now you've got this huge tournament experience. You've got a new approach to list building. And uh, I know you didn't get your House Baratheon starter set that you wanted. Uh, there is on, uh, what is it, September 7th, there is an Alpha Omega Hobbies in Massachusetts, about an hour and a half north of us, uh, a tournament where they're giving away a Baratheon starter set for first place. So maybe if you got time that weekend, maybe you'll go up there and you'll use your Gen Con knowledge to kick some butt. Oh, that, uh, there's a pretty good chance we'll run into Colin and his... His, uh, his mafia, the Song of Ice and Fire Mafia. We need to get a, a, get their cool official name for that. One of uh, one of the their cohort told me that they play three times a week. Yeah. And I was, could, can't tell you how jealous I was. Yeah, there's a lot of great communities out there. All right, well, thank you so much. Maybe we'll, we'll start to wrap it up there. Any other things that you, any other sites or scenes that you saw from Gen Con that you'd like to share with the larger community? I didn't get a whole lot of chance to, you know, go to the, to the Simon uh, booth and, you know, look at all of their inventory. Uh, the, the real problem with events like that is you're doing the tournament or you're doing the exhibitions and it's pretty hard to do both. Right. Yeah, that's definitely true. And it's nice that they did take the Baratheon starter sets and put them aside for prizes for the tournament. I think that's really cool because it really, mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to make a choice between being there to play the game and or standing in line. Oh yeah, people were really destroyed. It was, it was like a wave of sadness that hit when we were maybe, you know, 10 minutes into the first round of the qualifier and then someone ran in and said, they're all sold out. And I think yeah. everyone was thinking maybe between rounds they could sneak out and buy yeah. one. All their hearts sank. And we'll do, a, I think we'll do, we'll get Mark from Song of Ice and Fire Builder on too in the future and we'll kind of do a Gen Con wrap up as a whole. And thank you so much. I know right now it's Friday night. Thank you so much for after a whole day of playing games coming on here to talk with me. No, thanks for having me. We've been, of course, following all the news on the other end. I've been seeing all the things come out on Facebook and it's been interesting to see how people have responded. Um, it seems like there wasn't a limit on how many starter sets they let people buy. And so some people bought multiple sets. 
and they were really excited and showing their pictures online. And some people got a little sour about that. So it was a little bit of drama, mm-hmm. you know, and if it's, if it's available and people can buy multiple sets, like people are going to buy multiple sets. That's what's going to happen. They're going to take them home to their friends and things like that. So, you know, as a community, I think it's probably important for people to remember that, you know, these aren't people that are somehow cheating or anything like that. It's, it's the way Simon set it up, but some some people are pretty bummed out, but I think it's just more so that people are just so excited to get that Baratheon starter set. Yeah. Now, so here's the here's the final final question here. Mm-hmm. Playing your Starks, right? You've got them. You got them painted up now. Much of them, right? And will you be? Are you eyeing the Baratheons? Is that a faction you might want to consider playing in the future? Are you gonna kind of jump ship you know, here? What's the? I think I might. I might wait. I think I'm a little more excited about the Targaryens. In, oh, in the meantime, man, I don't. I don't think the Baratheons are going to be as as grossly overpowered as people are saying because I've seen a really well made Jon Snow list and I've <laughs> seen a really well made Joffrey list. I'm just not too worried about the Baratheons anymore. All right, wow, we'll see bold words. We'll have to we'll see. We'll have to get some games facing those style lists off together in the future. But right. But all right, well, thank you so much for coming on. I know it's late for you and uh, get some rest and, and enjoy the rest of the Gen Con weekend. And uh, hopefully I'll see you back in Connecticut soon. And uh, I'm looking forward to at that time with you getting some miniatures on the table. <laughs>